Greetings, friends. Today is September 7th. You have come to the right place at the right time. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide, a daily podcast, and no matter where you are, what time it is, we can get on the same path and take this leg of the journey together. And where are we going? We are reading through the entirety of the Bible, all 66 books, and we are taking in the superlative vista provided by God's self-revelation. These books were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, and yet there is a unifying theme. As Jesus said, these scriptures testify of me in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 39. He says that if anyone comes to him, receiving him as he is, they are given a new life, a new status, as reconciled sinners, clothed in righteousness, his righteousness, adopted into his family as fellow heirs in his eternal kingdom. And yes, we are now in the 22nd book of the Old Testament, which is a love poem, the Song of Songs, a romantic drama prepared most likely for the wedding of Solomon. It describes the romance between a Shulamite maiden who starts off conscious of the fact that she is unfit for a relationship with royalty, but she is spotted by the shepherd king who is determined to woo her to himself. The poem describes some of the ecstasies of the intimate relationship of a loving husband and wife, but it specifically mirrors the love that God has for his covenant people. The prophet Isaiah spoke to the nation of Israel, saying, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. In Isaiah 54, verse 5. More specifically, the lover in this book is described as a shepherd king, and he appears as both, as does the Lord Jesus Christ, who declares that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Good Shepherd, and he will return in his second coming as the King of Kings. Let's go to the book of Song of Solomon. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher in Concord, Massachusetts, in the United States of America, and I will be reading the part of the bridegroom, and reading the part of the bride will be my bride, Mary Ellen McAdam. So here we go. We are picking up where we left off yesterday, starting with Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, and we will be reading from the English Standard Version. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And there are some implied stage directions that a choir of others, friends of the bride and the bridegroom, say, Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. The ESV gives us some more stage directions. The bride searches for her beloved. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, 
but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me. As they went about in the city, they beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. And the choir of friends of the bride and the bridegroom say, What is your beloved more than any other beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved? that you thus adjure us. And then comes a description of the stage action. The bride praises her beloved. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool, His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Chapter 6. The friends of the bride and the bridegroom ask, Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? Stage directions together in the Garden of Love. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Scene heading, Solomon and his bride delight in each other. You are beautiful as Terza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed, the queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. And the friends of the bride and the bridegroom say, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. The bridegroom says, Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? Chapter 7 How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. 
Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon, by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights! Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. The bride gives her love. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Chapter 8. Longing for Her Beloved Oh, that you are like a brother to me, who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or waken love until it pleases. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Scene heading, final advice. The voice of the friends of the bride and bridegroom say, We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it.
Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And that is a very interesting ending to the book known as The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. There are two books in the Bible where God is not mentioned, the book of Esther and the Song of Solomon. Yet we have already seen how God is present in the book of Esther. He is actually the unseen hero behind the scenes. He's the main character, orchestrating people and events in history to fulfill his purpose. He uses the intercession of Mordecai, Esther, and providential circumstances to provide for the deliverance and preservation of his people. All of this is with Christ in view. God will bring forth his promised seed, the Messiah. God's purpose will not be thwarted. Although he is never mentioned, it is his story. The true significance of the book of Esther is made clearer in the context of the larger biblical narrative, stretching from the promise given to Abraham that the nations would be blessed with salvation through his promised seed, through to the New Testament where we see the culmination of that promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The same is to be said of the Song of Solomon. God is present in these love poems. We learn of this book's significance in the context of the larger biblical narrative. According to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, Solomon is said to have written a thousand and one psalms, yet only three of his psalms are in the Bible, Psalm 72, Psalm 127, and the Song of Solomon. Some see Song of Solomon as a collection of love poems rather than just one, which then would increase the number of his published psalms only slightly. Solomon is also believed to have been the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. He gave us the account of the Koheleth, the reporter, who described life without a covenant relationship with God as vanity of vanities. Song of Songs is rightly positioned in the Bible to provide a contrast to viewing life as empty and meaningless. What makes the difference? A covenant relationship with the living God. Although the Song of Solomon describes the conjugal love of a man and woman, husband and wife, celebrating the gift of their sexuality in the context of marriage, the Holy Spirit has authored this book to give us a greater picture of the love life initiated by a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and His people. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in the book of Ephesians that from the beginning, marriage was a picture of the divine purpose of redemption, which was to bring about the wedded relationship of Christ and His church. A bride has been won for God's Son, bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we read, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Husbands are told how to love and cherish their wives as their own bodies, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 29, as Christ does the church, in Ephesians 5:29, For we are members of his body, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, Paul explains that Christ's love for the church is not an afterthought, an illustration of marital love. It is the other way around. Marriage is an illustration of Christ's love for the church. The church was in God's mind before Adam was formed and the woman taken from his side. Marriage is temporal. The wedded bliss experienced by Christ and his church is eternal. The Song of Solomon is traditionally read by Jews every year at the Feast of Passover. Yet their Passover lamb and heavenly bridegroom remains hidden to their eyes. 
They long for him, but have not yet found him. One day he will make himself known to them. What is your relationship like with Christ? Do you enjoy sharing in his life? Does he enjoy sharing in yours? What is your relationship like with the body of Christ, which is his bride? Do you appreciate each member of the body as he does? The book of Ephesians tells us that he is both the church's bridegroom and head. He is head of the body, and the body itself is the vehicle of expression for the life of Christ. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. This is not merely a conjecture or a suggested analogy. Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians 5 are in agreement. It is a revealed mystery. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 31 and 32. In chapter 5 of the Song of Songs, the bridegroom takes pleasure in his time of communion with his beloved bride. In the church's time of fellowship with her heavenly bridegroom, she is fed his word, which is sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. In chapter 5, verses 2 through 8, we have the second of two dreams, both of which are seeking and finding dreams. The first was in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The parallels in Song of Solomon are part of the book's poetic rather than straight narrative structure. The bride is awakened in the dream and not from the dream. In verse 2 of chapter 5, the bridegroom once again makes an initiation for communion with the bride, but she misses the opportunity. In verses 2 through 6, this makes us pause and wonder if we are as quick to respond to the Lord as we could be. We may have excuses like the Shulamite that we are not willing to come to the door, but we cannot have the Lord on our own terms. She calls for him, but he is no longer nearby. In Isaiah 55 verse 6 we are told, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. In her seeking after him whom her soul loves, she is captured by the guards who strike her and wound her. The watchmen tear off her veil in chapter 5 verse 7. Did they mistake her for a woman of the night? Those who were appointed to safeguard the city of God once again prove that they do not know the shepherd king, though they were originally appointed by him. Have you been wounded by religion, legalism, or the spiritual abuse of false gospels? She then makes a plea to the daughters of Jerusalem, those who by nature are responders, sympathetic to her cause. They ask her to describe her beloved to them and pledge that they will help her find him. As she describes him, you can sense her passionate desire for him grows. She describes his excellencies from head to toe. Then she is drawn back to the means of his communication to his love to her. His mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 16. She realizes in chapter 6 that she must seek him out where he communes with the flock and the garden in which he delights. Chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine, he who pastures his flock among the lilies. When he sees her, he praises her for her beauty. She is as beautiful as Jerusalem. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 4. Jerusalem features as the center stage of redemption, so it is no wonder that this relationship mirrors the gospel love of the heavenly bridegroom for the bride. 
In our readings from Psalm 48 and 50, we see God's affection for Jerusalem, the city of our God, the mountain of His holiness. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shone forth. Psalm 50, verse 2. The bridegroom describes the bride in shepherdly terms, affectionately seeing the characteristics of the flock in her. After all, this is the corporate bride of the Good Shepherd. Chapter 6, verses 5-6. through six. The reflection of the bridegroom is seen in the eyes of the bride. He is overwhelmed and turns away. Other women praise this glorious bride. Who is this that grows like the dawn, as beautiful as the full moon, as pure as the sun, as awesome as an army with banners? Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 10. The bride struggles with homesickness for Shunem, but the daughters of Jerusalem encourage her to make her home with the king. When the daughters ask, why should the king seek a Shulamite, he praises her. This time, rather than describing her head to toe, he goes from toe to head, describing her beauty in royal terms. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and the flowing locks of your head are like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses. Chapter 7, verse 5. The delight of their adventures in conjugal love and mutual desire is expressed in chapters 7, verses 6 through chapter 8, verse 3. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4, is similar to chapter 2, verse 7, and chapter 3, verse 5. Scholars vary in their translations of the pronoun in selecting he, she, or it. You may notice in your Bible an alternate reading. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4. I want you to swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. The idea here is that love is so sacred that it should not be forced or trifled with. Let love have its way. In the New Testament context, love is the fruit of the indwelling Spirit of Christ. Do not interfere with love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 we cannot force the love of Christ on others. We pray that love will arouse and awaken spiritual desire under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Has the shepherd king captured your affections? Is your longing for conscious communion with him increasing or diminishing? Seek him while he may be found. Search for him as he keeps company with his flock. Call upon him while he is near. The book closes with some wonderful descriptions of the power of love. Put me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is as severe as Sheol, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verses 6 through 7. The book closes with a scene where the Shulamite returns to her mother's home, she remembers what her brothers said about her when she was a prepubescent youth. They did not think she was ready for marriage and were protective of her. The images of the wall and the door have to do with her days of virginity. If she were a door, that would mean that she would be loose and easy, sexually promiscuous. But she claimed to have been a wall in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 10. She kept herself a virgin till marriage. While the king has many vineyards, he is happy with this one vineyard. In the final verses, we see that she is ready to go where he goes, ministering to those in the garden. She shares in the fellowship, hungering for his word. O you who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 13. 
She also lives in the expectation of fresh visitations, anticipating the cry of the church, Even so, come Lord Jesus. O you who sit in the gardens, my companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Chapter 8, verses 13 through 14. The expositor's commentary on the Old Testament makes this observation. The bride's call to her groom to hasten may find an interesting echo in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, where the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The heavenly call has always been that of a divine groom for a human bride. In the song, she invites him to come. In human history, he invites her to come. Love, divine love, calls to love, and love responds. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now let's move on to our reading from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-15. through 15. The Collection for Christians in Jerusalem 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of their surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And this concludes our reading from today's portion from the New Testament in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Paul continues to expect that the Corinthians will rise to the challenge to come through with their promise of a bountiful gift for the special needs of the church in Jerusalem. Will we be a generous people, or will we be covetous? Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. We can never outgive the Lord. Paul challenges the church to put the Lord to the test, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, 
you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Their generosity in giving is not only a blessing to the recipients, in this case, the church in Jerusalem, but also it is a tribute to God and an inspiration to other saints. Our attitude in giving reflects the gratitude in our hearts for the indescribable gift of a living, loving Lord and Savior. How can we adequately express our thanksgiving in words? Let us express our thanksgiving in the way we love one another and support those in need. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is hilaros, from which we get the English word hilarious. New Testament principles of giving can be summed up in the acronym PARCELS, P-A-R-C-E-L-S. We are called to give, P stands for proportionately in 1 Corinthians 16.2, according to what a person has in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 9, verse 6. A, anonymously, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. R, regularly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. C, cheerfully, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. E, expectantly, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. L, locally, in Malachi 3.10, the storehouses where the saints are fed, where you are encouraged and built up. And then S stands for sacrificially in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, and verse 13. Now let's go to the book of Psalms, and let's read this classic psalm of confession, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is a psalm that we should read regularly on our knees. We should read it aloud. We are sinners in need of God's abundant mercy. Our transgressions, iniquity, and evil deeds must be erased. 
the sin barrier that separates us from face-to-face fellowship with God must be removed. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid our sin debt in full and opened up the way. To be in a right relationship with God means that we are walking in the light as He is in the light. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, this is a psalm of David, when at last, after Nathan's rebuke, he honestly confesses his sin before God, his sins of adultery and murder. He knows he is a sinner and that God is just and merciful. There is no self-justification in this prayer. He realizes that God desires truth in the inward being. He cannot blame anyone but himself for his actions. He cannot blame his upbringing because he was born dead in his trespasses and sins. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In verse 5, he asks for cleansing. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was the branch that was used to apply the blood to the posts and lintels of the homes of the Jews in Egypt on the night of the Passover. It is when the angel of death sees the blood that he passes over. Mercy triumphs over judgment because of the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb. David not only prays for forgiveness, he prays for a new heart and spirit. He prays for Christ to be the center and source of his life. In this prayer of penitence, David offers to God what God requires, a humble admission of his need for Christ. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 verse 17. Now for our last stop on our Bible reading tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You may have heard the expression, if you wrestle with a skunk, you end up smelling like one. If you associate with a man of anger, not only may you pick up his hot-headed habits, but people will associate you with his temper tantrums and whatever bee is buzzing in his bonnet. Now let's go before the Lord in prayer in the light of his word. Gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for your plan. We are humbled that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world to be a co-regent with Christ in your eternal kingdom. In Christ we have all that we need. We can say, I am my beloved's and he is mine, because of the price he paid on the cross continually work in our lives. You desire truth in our inward being. We want to be honest with you and quick to repent and confess our sins. Cleanse us with hyssop and give us the grace to live in the power and strength of a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen. My prayer is that your affection for your heavenly bridegroom will have been kindled by our time of fellowship together in his word. We look forward to starting our 23rd book in the Old Testament tomorrow. That's right, tomorrow we start reading the great prophecy of Isaiah, the 66 chapters of a book that mirrors the 66 books of the Bible. We'll learn more about that tomorrow. Until then, if you have any questions, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to get a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org, and get a daily email. Also, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. So until tomorrow, may your meditations upon God's Word be rich. Shalom.